Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. We're in the second part of this series, which I launched last week, called Extravagant Grace, Overwhelming Favour. Now, I don't know how long it's going to go, but, well, there's just a bunch of them in line that I'm going to be sharing over the next month or two. And I would encourage you to lean in. I feel like it's a word from God for Metro Church and anyone that wants to be a part of this service, uh, a word from God for us for 2022. Now, I said last week that sometimes God speaks the opposite of the way things look and opposite the way uh, majority opinion seems to be going. And so you're going to get that. I make no apology for it. We didn't come here to give you a media press release to tell you what the world thinks. We came here to hear something from heaven because our prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is what? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth just like it is. Amen. So why would we talk about where we've been or where we are? We ought to be talking about where we're going. Can you say amen? We ought to be talking about what the future holds and the future for the church is not the past and it's not some statistic or demographic or some other thing like that. But the future of the church is that His kingdom is going to be and His will are going to be fulfilled on earth in Jesus' mighty name. Well, I think it's unfortunate that when you speak about grace, often grace is equated in many Christians' minds with pity. Like somehow or other that God feels sorry for each one of us. That's what grace is. You're a loser, but don't worry, His grace covers you. You're completely pathetic in every way. You can't do it. We, you know, People sing songs like about how useless they are and they can't do anything. And I go, what a, a shocking way to live your life as though somehow or other you've got a heavenly Father who's embarrassed about you. Amen. You know, I'm a father and a grandfather. I'm proud of my children. Amen. Are they perfect? No. But am I proud of them? Hang around me a little while. You'll discover how intensely proud I am of them. You'd think they were the only children in the world. You'd think they were the only ones who ever achieved anything. But I'm proud of them. And I think the Heavenly Father, listen to me, I think the Heavenly Father thinks the same about you. I think He's going around about heaven. They're going, have you seen that tendon? Did you see what my son Nathan did this morning? Did you see the way that cruel pastor dropped him right in the middle of it. And he had to come up with something. But did you see the way he turned off fear and turned on the listening ear of the voice of God? And then did you hear what he had to say? It's not as hard as you think. You've just got to, did you watch that? And the angels are up there going, woohoo! Talk up another win for Jesus and another loss for the devil. 
I think the Heavenly Father looks down and He's proud of you and loves you and wants you to puff out your chest as it were and start to say, you know, I'm not what the devil tells me I am. I'm not what the uh, enemy wants to portray to me. I'm not who my upbringing says I am. I'm who the Holy Spirit of God says that I am according to the book in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Yeah, well, you, you should clap. Oh, I think that's great. But it's unfortunate that grace is only ever pitched as though it's God's response to our failures. Now, there's a certain sense of it where grace does cover our weaknesses, but it's much more than that. Let me read to you Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, For if by the one man's offence death reigned through the one, that's talking about Adam, our forefather, the one who, who uh, gave into temptation, ate the fruit that he was told not to eat, not an apple, that's for sure. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there's a whole lot in that that we could talk about for a minute, but let's just keep going on. But if through that one man's offence, his mistake, death came into the human race, much more those, much more those, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, watch this, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. If failure and death and sorrow and pain came by Adam's mistake, it says how much more? We're living in a world that every day carries the repercussions of Adam's sin. The family brokenness, despite our vast education, despite all the skill and talent and all the psychology we know and understand and thank God for every part of it. But despite all of that, sin still continues to wreak its havoc upon humanity. If ever you want to blame someone for all the sorrow in the world and all the pain, don't blame God. He's not the one. The enemy came in through that small opening. And that's the result of it. But this Scripture says, if because of that, all this pain has come about, how much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Now, you want me to say that that word reign means when you die. That you, you know, that reign in life, well, after all, you know, we can't expect too much and Really, life is difficult. Wasn't it Malcolm Fraser, our Prime Minister, once who said life wasn't meant to be easy? Well, he hadn't read the Bible. Uh, it doesn't have to be easy, but it is possible to rule and reign in life through one Jesus Christ. The word reign there is a Greek word, basilia, from which we get the English word basilica. And if ever you've seen a basilica, and I've seen many around the world, they all sit on the top of hills and they are, the word basileo means a foundation of power. In other words, if you've received an abundance of grace, there is given to you a foundation of power for your life. Now listen, don't turn me off because right now maybe your life is a bit difficult. Listen to the Word of the Lord. He had no idea what I was going to preach on. I'm listening to Nathan prophesy there and going, Whoa, if he'd said that after I preached, you'd all go, oh yeah, he, he's channeling the message. He's repeating it. 
But you know, he'd heard something from God and God wanted you to hear this message this morning so that you can make a shift in your life, so that you can walk out of here differently. Come on, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and, and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we don't want to go out of here and just then turn on the television, listen to what everyone's got to say, and then we absorb that as though it's truth. No, it's opinion. Let's absorb truth today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read to you a story of grace. I've timed it out. It only takes me a minute and a half to read all this Scripture, but I'm going to read the whole bit because I want you to hear the whole story. Some of you will know it, most of you perhaps. Some of you won't, so let's get into Luke 15. Jesus is speaking, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all the money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. This is a young Jewish boy. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Watch this. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, we really all have come here because we lean into you for the answers that only you have. Only you can do something so deep on the inside of us in an instant that our life is changed merely by that moment in your presence. I pray, God, that no one here today will hear a sermon but they'll hear something that you want to say to them personally. That each one of us, God, will go out of here and go, you know what? I can take the next step because of today. So we thank you for that and we give you alone all the praise and all the glory goes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's no doubt that Jesus told this parable, that's what it is, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Because he's trying to explain to the people around about him who've grown up under Jewish law and there's 613 of those that had to be kept without any 
uh, shadow without any, uh, you know, kind of sense of getting off. No, you had to keep the whole lot. And if you were guilty of one, you were guilty of them all. And so these people have grown up in a very rigid and strict environment. And Jesus wants to explain the way their heavenly father thinks about his children. So he tells that story we just read. Now, this doesn't equate so much to our Western world in this time. But if you'd been in the audience that day, when these people heard Jesus say, verse 12, that the son says, give me my inheritance now, you would have heard gasps from the crowd. There would have been murmurs of disapproval, more than that, murmurs of disgust at this young man's request. Give me my inheritance now. The renowned Bible scholar Kenneth Bailey says that in the culture of Jesus' day, that boy who dishonoured his father, who's asked him, saying, give me my inheritance now, virtually saying, I wish you were dead, that the boy who said that would have not only been disowned by the father and shunned by the family, but indeed the entire community would have treated him as though he'd never lived. That's how they thought about this. That you couldn't do anything more dishonouring than to say to your father, I wish you were dead. And so this story Jesus tells is a lot more than a kid who makes a mistake. It's someone who there would have been cold community uh, reproof of. They would have literally never spoken his name again in conversation. And so when this son comes home and asks not to be an employee. He wasn't saying, Dad, put me on staff. The word there, there's several words in the Greek that refer to a servant. This one's the lowest of all. It's like a, a, a casual worker for the day. No security, no certainty, no benefits of any kind. It's just like he's come home saying, Dad, will you give me one day's work? Could you let me have one day's, and you know that those workers got the worst jobs. They weren't sitting in the office up there in the house, in the air conditioning with the fridge near them full of cold drink. These are the guys out in the fields in the heat of the absolute day. And they get nothing but a wage at the end of the day according to how much they've done. And so that's what this boy comes home and asks for. But instead of the father looking and going, well, will I, won't I? Instead of that, the father greets him with a kiss, a robe, a ring and sandals. But today in this second part of extravagant grace and overwhelming favour, I want you to notice which one's first. It's not the ring of authority on his hand that demonstrates he's someone to be listened to and someone to be obeyed. It's not the family robe that would have immediately signaled to everyone the family he's a part of, that he belongs. And it's not even the sandals uh, about his future walk. It's not even that that he gets. But the very first thing the father gives him is a kiss. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't kiss strangers. Now, maybe you, maybe in your culture, you just, you know, nowadays we air kiss a lot of people. 
But that's not what's happening here. The father, the, the word there for kiss is not a, you know, celebrity, whatever. It's not that. It's not a romantic kiss. It's a, a the literal meaning of it is it's an earnest kiss. It's a kiss that says, I love you. Amen. It's a kiss that says, I'm connected to you. And the very first thing the father gives this pig-smelling, rebellious son who's taken half of all the inheritance and just frittered it away. The very first thing that he gets from the father is an intimate expression of relationship. See, when we talk about grace, we're not talking about God winking at your issues. We're not talking about the Lord looking at the mistakes you make and just going, oh, well, after all, you know, should be right. We'll let doggones be bygones. And hopefully one day the bygones and the doggones will be longgones. That's a country and western song for those who want to know. Here's the truth. I want you to hear this today. Grace, extravagant grace, is the father's heart towards sons and daughters. I want you to get this. Grace is not God winking at your issues, your failures, your mistakes. We all make them. Grace is the father's whole heart. It's his default, if you will. If you are a son or a daughter of God, then grace is how He responds to you. When you come and pray, He doesn't look to see how your scorecard of behaviour looks from the week before. Come on, I've been around long enough. I remember when I was just a young Christian. It seemed to me like crises always followed my biggest sins. Now, I know none of you here, you, you, you're all been, you got saved and you just walked in holiness from day one. Amen. Yep, you just kept walking with Jesus. You were perfect from day one. Well, I wasn't. And uh, it would seem to me that, you know, if something was to go wrong, it was always after I'd screwed up somewhere or other or a day or two before, so that when I came to pray, I'd be going, oh, God, 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 I don't deserve it. God, 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 I'm sorry, God, 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 I'm sorry. God, if you'll just do it this once, I promise I'll never do that again. Well, that was a lie. Grace is how God responds to you. Grace is how God's plans are towards you. Grace is how God prepares for you. He's preparing a future for you, listen to me, not based on how well you're, listen to me, you've got to get this today or else grace will always live back there somewhere or other as that moment where you got saved. That was the grace of God. And then you'll just sail on trying to live as a Christian under law and not under grace. Are you getting this? And that's not the way it's meant to go. That's not the way we're meant to live it. He's preparing good things for you, listen to me, based on His grace. Listen to me. He's, doing, he's making plans for you based on His grace. Oh, come on. Is that sinking into you this morning? Those of you online, wherever you may be, is that singing? The plan, God is planning things for my life. Thank God, based upon His grace, not based upon have I got there yet. Come on. 
Amen. Come on. He's not, he's not there going, well, let's just see. Do you know that there are no sons or daughters on probation? Huh? Come on. Listen, I've been with enough young parents in this church just lately. You know, Sarah and Sadiq had their beautiful little uh, Leora, is it? I think's her name. What a cute child. Mercy me. Then, you know, we were with uh, Sebastian and Rashida. Hi, Sebastian and Rashida. Uh, with their beautiful boy, Emmanuel Sebastiano. They decided not to call him Hatush. Uh, and in joke. But you know what? They don't go, well, look, we'll take him home for a week. You know what I mean? We'll take him home for a couple of weeks. Let's see how he goes. If he's too much trouble, we're bringing him back. Huh? Some of us act like that with God. Like he's got a big probation sign over you. We're all waiting and wonder when the probation period ends. There aren't any sons or daughters on probation. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 says that He's made us accepted in the Beloved. We don't, listen, we don't make ourselves accepted. He made us accepted. I'm not accepted because of what you think about me. I'm not accepted because of what everyone says about me. I'm not accepted because of what's going on in my life, because the circumstances, good or bad. I'm accepted because He made me that way. Said, this is my son. This is my daughter. Put your name in there. Said, that's who you are. Grace, extravagant grace, it's the Father's heart towards sons and daughters. If you're not a son or a daughter, you're not sure. At the end of the service, I'll invite you to say yes. And that yes, according to the Bible, when I repent of my sin and turn towards God, invite Jesus into my heart and get born again. Well, if you get born, you obviously get born into a family. It's the family of God. So grace is the Father's heart. Secondly, grace speaks the language of relationship. Luke 15 verse 24 Listen to the first thing that the Father says. For this son. He comes back and says, make me an employee, a casual worker. What, what's, he's using the language of, of law. This is all he could hope for, the language of works. And the Father uses the language of relationship. This son of mine was dead. He comes home saying, I've sinned, I'm unworthy, I'm the lowest of the workers. And the Father doesn't debate with him. He just says, this is my son. Listen, when you come to God and all the time saying, oh Lord, I know I haven't been a very good Christian. I'm really sorry about God. And I'm, and I'm a bit pathetic and I'm fairly useless. And oh God, I should have done more. God, I should pray more. God, I'd meant to read the Bible this morning, but I slept in. Oh God, I'm sorry about that. And then Lord, that person cut me off in traffic. So of course I, 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 I gestured to them. But Lord, uh, uh, now I'm repenting. And God, please, please God, will you just help me? You're speaking the language of the younger rebellious son and the father speaks back to you and says, I think I hear my son praying. I think I hear my daughter requesting from me. This my son, the oldest son, we didn't read this part of the passage, but the boy's got the older one who stayed home and was a goody-goody and never did the wrong thing. But now he's cranky. How dare you forgive him? How dare you have grace? 
Can't tell you right now the world wants to separate everybody into the good and the bad. Come on. Come on, I've been saying in this church for the last two years, everything we do is going to get covered with grace. Amen. Don't allow the world to keep on pushing you into a, a posture that's like the older son. I'm cranky that you're being merciful. For this son of mine was dead. He's now returned to life. The older son, I've been serving. Listen to his language. I've been serving and you never gave me. I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. Look at my report card, Father. All that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And listen to what the Father says. Because listen, the Father doesn't speak the language of works. He speaks the language of relationship. He speaks the language of grace. Look at the next verse, verse 31. His Father said to him, Look, Dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. See, the son's got a scorecard for his brother and a scorecard for himself and by that, he's at the top and the other one's at the bottom. And the father says, it's not about that. Look, dear son, he speaks the language of relationship to him. You know, I think the saddest part of this whole story is that the older son lived under grace, but he never activated it. He could have had anything he wanted, but he kept on thinking, I don't deserve it yet. I've got to really work hard and show dad. And the whole time he missed out. Grace is activated by embracing relationships. The eldest son lived under grace and never did him a bit of good. Now I'll give a balance in one of these messages further on because grace doesn't mean who cares. Grace doesn't mean God goes, well, whatever. Otherwise, there's no need for any of the epistles of the New Testament telling us how we ought to behave. God might take you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Amen. And I thank God for that. I watch parents, whether they're Christians or not Christians, every one of them forms their child. I watch my children say to their children, no. They're not being unloving or ungracious when they say no. They're trying to help them grow into being a, a great person, somebody that lives well and does everything they're meant to be and to do. Grace is activated though by embracing relationship. As long as I keep treating God like He's the police inspector, then I'm always going to miss out on the benefits of grace. Here's the last thing here I want you to get today. And that's this, make extravagant grace your starting point. See, both sons made grace and favour and ended to aspire to something to work towards. The younger son, make me like one of your hired servants, your contract workers. I'll try and earn my way back into your good books. Listen to me. Some of you here that maybe you've messed up and you're going, I've got to earn my way back into God's favour. No, you don't. He doesn't speak that language. He speaks the language of relationship. He speaks the language of extravagant grace. The older son, He's made grace and favour 
the end result. I've been doing all this. I've been waiting for when you'd give me the tick of approval. He kept on waiting. Let me give you one more scripture here. It's Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. And I want you to watch the, where it starts and then where it goes. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Listen, if you want to find help, if you want to obtain mercy, you're never going to get there if you make your starting point how good you are. He says, I'll help you and I'll change you if you start with extravagant grace. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. The Father makes extravagant grace His starting point for your life. Heavenly Father, help us today. I guess, Lord, there may not be a person hearing me today or in time to come, weeks that lie ahead or whenever someone who gets a hold of this service. I guess there isn't one of us, Lord, that doesn't occasionally tip back into the thought that we have to earn something from You, that we've got to prove something to You. Lord, forgive us for serving You out of some sense of trying to impress You or others, out of doing things because we wanted You to look kindly on us. Lord, help us make grace, extravagant grace, our starting point in Jesus' Name. Help us, Lord. Lord, I pray it'll be more than a theory or a nice doctrine. But this week, Lord, when something maybe comes up and we need help, we won't jump back into, have I got enough faith? Am I good enough? We'll come boldly to the throne of grace. There we'll find mercy. There we'll find grace to help in time of need. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Of all the things that happen in my week, let me tell you the one that blesses me the most. The one that always I'm most excited about, and that's when I get an email or something that tells me the people that said yes to Christ in the previous week. And you know, there are all different times. I know the week before last, there was one at, I don't know, some weird hour of the night. I don't know whether that's someone overseas or someone who was up late wrestling in our time zone. But I've never tired of this moment. Do I think it's everything? Do I think it's all done in one second? Well, I think getting born again has done that like that. Amen. God may have been incubating something in your life over a period of months, stirring a hunger for Him, making you think about Him. But then comes the moment where you either say yes or you say not now. I pray today you'll say yes. The very last book of the Bible and the very last chapter of the last book of the Bible is Revelation 22. One of the last things that it says in that chapter is in verse 17. Listen to it. It says the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. 
and the bride, that's the church. You know, there's so many people want the church to say a whole lot of stuff. I, I want to say what He's saying. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let all who hear say, come. Let him or her that is thirsty come drink the water of life without price. It's not going to cost you anything. He's not asking you to prove it. He's saying if you want to, you can come. Come on, listen to me this morning. You can come. God, but Jeff, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. But I know what He did. I know that He hung on a cross and He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, but I do. And there the Bible says He became the sacrifice for your sin. He paid the price. You should have paid it for sure. But He paid it so you don't have to anymore. You say, Jeff, that sounds too good to be true. Yeah, I know. That's why we struggle with it because we live in a world that keeps wanting you to prove it. You come to God and He's got extravagant grace. And He says to a son who smells of pigs and hasn't had time for a shower, got all dirt and dust and his clothes are ragged. He's got no shoes on his feet. He's pawned everything he had. The father says, come on, you're my son. So I know that you, you might say, Jeff, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm good. I've got it. I go, really? Well, then you're the oldest son in the field. He had it too. And both those people from two opposite places needed to come into a relationship with the father. So if you want to say yes to Christ, you can do that today. You can do it right now. If you're with us at metrochurch.online, the yes tab's there right now. You can just say yes. If you want to do it right now via text and you're in Australia, it's 488 If you want to do it via email because you're outside of Australia or you just rather contact us that way, then it's yes.metrochurch.org.au. Either way, if you do that, God's grace. The most important thing is that Christ will come into your life. You're saying yes to Him. You're not saying yes to a church. We're not enrolling you. We're not going to gather your data. To this day, I have no idea the hundreds and hundreds of people that have said yes. I couldn't tell you any one of them apart from the people that have told me personally later. I said yes. And every day it was like God was speaking to me. When you sent me that Bible verse, when you send me that prayer, I've had people tell me this. It was like, it was spooky. It was like God was talking to me. And they loved it. You can do that today. Father, help them, we pray in Jesus' name, whoever they are. People may be right in front of me right now. They need to say yes right now. Right now, they need to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Lord, I pray for them right now. If you're in the building right now and you want to say yes to Christ, you don't want to wait. I'd love to pray with you right now where you are. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed, all you've got to do is slip your hand up in the air and I'll see it. I'd love to pray with you right where you are right now. If that's you, I don't know. I just feel prompted to ask. We don't do it this way all the time. But if that is you, would you slip it up now? If that's you, you say, Jeff, I, I don't really know Jesus. You might know a bit of religion or been to a church or maybe you know nothing. Is there anyone like that? then you give your yes in the most appropriate way, the best way for you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Let's give all the people that are going to say yes to Jesus a big hand. Amen, amen.